0: This is the show This is the podcast
1: hello there folks and welcome back to the strange tonic podcast that's right we return from yet another unplanned but needed and uh yes certainly needed we'll leave it at that hiatus uh michelle and i are we've got some more content to drop for you we just we had some chats over the summer i just haven't had a chance to get those edited speaking of which i just edited this conversation it's all about our friend uh not so much friend we'll call it uh Fiend that is the filibuster and uh, why it needs to f right off as fast as possible. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it. I, as I said, listened to it and it was lovely. And I I thank Michelle for doing this with me every single time. Um, a few quick notes about some of the things you hear in the conversation. Uh, the Adam McKay docuseries that I talk about is called Cue Into the Storm on HBO Max. Uh, thinking back to it, it was enthralling wasn't as funny as you might want it's, it's almost a little creepy but it's kind of hard to look away um and in another hbo max uh, hbo unpaid shout out season three of succession premieres on october 17th uh now to apple tv uh ted lasso season two uh the finale was just dropped uh this previous friday so that was uh, october 8th in case I, this isn't time stamped well enough Um, So you have to wait for season three, and Schitt's Creek is a wonderful show, it's one of those things, watch, make you happy, watch it to be entertained instead of Fox News or CNN, whatever you want to watch that's a little bit more fear-inducing. Schitt's Creek is wonderful, my wife is watching it for I don't know how many ith time, uh, as is my mother. Uh, From there, let's go right into the shoutouts, our graphic is awesome, it makes us look legit, we are just super grateful that we get to use it and that our friend Alyssa, wonderful and talented friend, made it for us and, we get, as I said, just get to feature it and look like a real podcast. So check out her business. It is Little Spruce Design Plus Goods at littlesprucedesign.com. Thanks, Alyssa. Uh, and, as always, shout out to our friends Pan Astral who allow us to feature their music on each and every one of our podcasts. Uh, On this one, I'm again using, it's their single, All of the Color. Um, Check them out on Amazon Music, Bandcamp, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and wherever else you get your digital music. One note, I did go to painastworld.com to check out see what they're up to these days, anything new. And I think they may be having some problems with their website. I reached out to a friend of the pod, uh, my friend Tad, to see if that's the case. So uh, if it is, check back and see what's happening. Painastworld.com. Uh, Astral is fantastic we love them uh, all their songs are just great we're grateful to get to use them and we're grateful that you're back and that uh, you're listening to us so please enjoy the conversation But also some of the opening thoughts I have here would be uh, okay. Would be included in that. But I just I don't think can stress enough that you know this week March the three month well three months since the uprising at the Capitol, which it seems mm. like has been totally memory hold by a fair amount of people. These people that still openly vote Republican and support Trump. Mm. And that is uh, beyond infuriating and sad and pathetic. Uh, Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. I finished
1: off a short, it's not a short, it's just a six part docu-series on HBO now, which is, Co produced by Adam McKay, who most people know from doing like comedies and stuff with Will Ferrell, but he's kind of been doing more actual. Oh, what's going on? Hopefully that didn't affect anything. My computer's thinking really hard. Okay, we're good.
2: I've heard you just fine. Okay, I and... think we're good.
1: Well, I just noticed the like time meter locked up, but it, it... is at the correct time. Anyways, so he's kind of jumped into making. They're still funny, but, you know, films, like, we all know uh, the big short, and he's an executive producer, maybe I think a co-creator of Succession, which, if you have not watched that, Michelle, I highly recommend it. Just, it's, everything is good about it. It's, I think it's a family, supposed mostly based on, like, the Murdochs, but, you know, it's Brian Cox, and all the yeah. people you recognize, and so, yeah, he's done some good stuff, and it's kind of weird, it's... There's some parts you're like, oh, that's I forgot I, I didn't forget about that. But, oh, I forgot how awful that is. But I was listening to a podcast or the Lawfare podcast where they were talking with a political science professor that has like a brief interview on uh, I believe it's called Into the Rabbit Hole on HBO Max, and they're talking to him about conspiracies, and one of the things he says is. Well, problem isn't necessarily social media the problem is that you have a president who is regurgitating these things and like that's how this is spreading these people aren't necessarily republicans or democrats they're people that hate the government so they have a president that hates the government and then you have a whole political party which you know how do you want to how do you stop this from happening you remove the person who keeps saying that you punish josh hawley you punish anyone who enables him but yet here we are with Well, either it didn't happen or somehow it wasn't Trump's fault. So anyways, that's my thing I wanted to get out of the way first. Um,
2: No, fair enough. uh,
1: So what I have in my notes here is, first of all, about that Ezra Klein conversation with David French, who I admittedly have mocked on Twitter before over his (laughs) whole protect the good ones thing he wrote. And his example that he gave was Marsha Blackburn. And to French's credit, has repeatedly said that was a bad choice in his part. Uh, he does kind mm-hmm. of try and hedge a bit by saying you, you don't know. I mean, he, he's a combat veteran. He says you don't know until like what someone's metal is until they're tested in combat and there's live, live ammunition. But, I mean, she failed right away. So there's that. But so tying into what I just said, here's a quote that I <laughs> found very interesting right from the beginning. Uh, I see an election coming that has the possibility to end in a scenario where one side will not accept the legitimacy of the outcome and there's not really going to be a way to resolve that. We don't really have a way to resolve it now. We do if both parties act responsibly, but I have not found that Republican Party has been all that responsible around reining in what their base wants recently. So my version mm-hmm. of this is, what if we have an election where it looks like on election night, like Donald Trump won, the mail-in ballots slowly begin overturning that, but there's an effort to disqualify a bunch of them. And then soon enough, you have a situation where the two sides think they've won and the other side disagrees. Hmm.
0: Like,
1: hmm, and they, I believe recorded that podcast in, um, I think it was September of
2: 2020. Yes. Yes. It was in September. That's correct.
1: So I remember, I remember, some of my friends on the right taking umbrage with the uh, was a new york times study or washington post that published it or what I mean, some study that was published by both papers actually saying that uh unless there's a clear biden win that uh there's probably going to be violence and a bunch of problems and them mm. going well, that seems like a threat Well, actually it was correct but okay um okay so there's it was,
0: there's the... it
2: was... It was a prediction, it wasn't a threat.
1: That's right. And this conversation, I should note, between Ezra Klein and David French was about what we're talking about tonight, the filibuster. Um, mm. So before I get into it too far, Michelle, my second point mm-hmm. here is, because every podcast I've listened to so far, and even like recent writing, anything I've read in researching this, has had an obligatory Mr. Smith goes to Washington reference. So should we add one of our own outside of that or just move on?
2: (laughs) No, I think that's a good idea Uh, where to start, because that's really like a a cultural touchstone on what a filibuster really even is. You know, it's a, it, it's a film that came out I think in 1939, 1938, somewhere right, right before world war two and it's highly patriotic. The hero is Jimmy Stewart, who is an American treasure. I mean, you can't deny that with the films that he made. Like we love Jimmy Stewart. I
0: have like to
1: argue with you on that.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, barring any skeletons in his closet that I don't know about at this point, uh, Jimmy Stewart is is really like this great American actor. Who was very patriotic himself, and he ended up fighting in the war, he and did. you know, doing um, bomber raids over Germany, uh, which was pretty, pretty powerful. And remained uh, in
1: the reserves even right. after the war was over, mm-hmm. and while he was continuing his career. Say, so yeah,
0: yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so him being Mr. Smith, you know, this uh, this character, this wide-eyed, innocent, patriotic guy who loves the Boy Scouts or something. It's been a few years since I watched it. But he basically, by happenstance and by accident, ends up being a senator. And he eventually uses the filibuster to take down the bad guys that are trying to, you know, screw the American people. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely film. It's Frank Capra. I mean, what's not to love about it? So it's, you know, you see it as this, this special mechanism within the Senate that this filibuster can be used to, you know, prevent bad legislation, to pre- prevent bad guy lobbyists from getting things done that hurts the American people. And so, so I think that's kind of the myth around the filibuster mm-hmm. itself. Um, But that's obviously been changing over the last couple decades because the filibuster has gotten insanely out of control and used way, way too often by comparison.
1: Very true. And I think also another reason why Mr. Smith goes to Washington is a good reference point because in the end, uh, Claude Rains is so moved by what Mr. Smith has to say. Well, actually, Claude Rains, well, I guess he was the actor, but... The character
2: played by Quadri, yes. Senator (laughs) Joseph
1: Harrison Payne is so moved by what Mr. Smith has to say as he collapses on the floor of the Senate that he his conscience takes over and he reveals his whole corrupt scheme. And and so, yes, it's Mm -hmm. you know the Senate had lost its way, and here comes the filibuster, and all of a sudden it's the faith in the the governing body is restored. But as you put it to Michelle, uh. No, uh the filibuster especially recently but uh really over the course of its growth has not been Mm -hmm. something where it actually restores faith in the body it actually tends to make it less functional Mm. to expand on or at least to move on from that on a point you continually make on here uh I got so interested after listening to two podcasts with uh, uh, Adam Gentleson, who was on that Bulwark podcast. He was on the NPR one, and he, mm-hmm. he he wrote a book, which I'm listening to the audiobook right now, which is called "Kill Switch: The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy." Uh, he points out, oh no, I may have lost my train of thought. Oh, he does talk about how like there's this idea of incrementalism and stuff like that, but that's never kind of been what Republicans are about. So even though like I, I like incrementalism, the filibuster is not a tool of that. The filibuster is a tool of Mm -hmm. uh, basically American conservatism writ large. And I have in my notes here, I don't know if this is an actual word, but really (laughs) what the filibuster has been used to do by conservatives, uh, and they've mainly been the one that have enjoyed it uh is the, to perpetuate a regressionist movement like it's not even mm. like the status quo it's it's yanking things backwards and mm. while this may be kind of simplistic i did <laughs> listen to trevor noah do his now like now you know thing about the filibuster it's like it's you know it's It's always been. Mm -hmm. I'm probably jumping the shark here. It's always been (laughs) a mechanism that has really reacted to and tried to tamper down any sort of progress when it comes to race, in particular. Like Mm -hmm. at first, it was Mm -hmm. protecting slavery, and then it was uh, Strom Thurmond and his what famous 1957, where he. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I listened to this today. He. Michelle, did you know that he bragged about going to the sauna for like a day before he did this filibuster to get all the <laughs> fluids out of his body so he didn't have to go to the bathroom?
2: Yes, yeah. He 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 prepared himself. Like like a runner prepares for a marathon, he literally physically prepped to do a filibuster that would break all records. And, uh,
1: and his he missions? was
2: successful in the sense that he... He was not successful in his mission, but he was successful in doing the longest filibuster. Uh, The Civil Rights Act of 1957 ultimately still passed, but man, he really slowed it down because he jabbered on for 24 hours and 18 minutes.
0: He
1: sure did. And what did he read from?
2: Ooh, what did he read from, Noel?
1: The phone book. (laughs) Probably other things, but that's kind of this famous uh, part about the tale.
2: Probably other things, too. Yeah yeah i mean it really was all about it was just it was a delaying tactic um and you know when we talked about discussing the filibuster obviously i like going back to history and you know kind of what i you kind of already mentioned this but what i was looking for in my research really was the filibuster prior to the civil war
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so first off the filibuster was not a thing it was an accident and I don't think that people realize that enough. That it was not a mechanism built into the rules of the Senate. It was a mistake. It was an accident. And do you do you know the details behind that?
1: A little bit from what I've a little bit. looked up. Wasn't that something that sort of basically Aaron Burr kind of came about by happenstance? <laughs> Where like, yes, I guess that, they so someone exactly. could do this. <laughs>
2: It 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 was Aaron Burr, yes. Yeah. So, 1805, fresh off the indictment of murdering uh, Alexander Hamilton <laughs> in his famous duel. Was,
0: yeah,
2: it was right after it was right after that happened. So the bad guy from Hamilton <laughs> decides <laughs> to tell Congress that they need to change their rule books, and one of the rules is the previous question rule, which was a mechanism where the debating body. Once somebody's getting a little too long-winded, or they think debate is unnecessary to proceed, someone can call the previous question rule, which forces the new, the you know delegation to move on to the next uh, item of debate. That was put into the rule books for both the House and the Senate way back in 1789, and the rule had never really ever been used. Basically, Congress uh, and both houses were you know, so new and uh, so fresh faced, I guess we'll say that they, you know, they were figuring things out and they never really used this rule. So in 1805, right after his uh, indictment for killing Alexander Hamilton, um, Aaron Burr gives one last speech in which he says, you know, you should get rid of all these rules that you don't need anymore, such as the previous question rule. And Congress in 1806 is like, yeah, maybe he has a point. So they get rid of the rule. And boom, 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 born is the possibility of the filibuster.
1: And who is... That's it.
2: That's where the filibuster came from. That's it.
1: (laughs) And Michelle, I'm going to ask you this because if you put me on the spot, I'd probably not be able to put together a coherent definition. But for our listeners who don't know, what is the filibuster?
2: And that is a good question because the definition of the filibuster is a delaying tactic in which a representative in Congress will hold the floor for an extended period of time to prevent a bill coming to vote. So it's, you know, in an idealist uh, perspective, it's like it's your chance to be heard. Um, If you are not in the majority to pass the bill, this is your opportunity to just get it all off your chest and really make the case for why this bill shouldn't be passed, you know, something like that. But honestly, what it has turned into is forcing the Senate to have a super majority in order to pass Indeed. anything. That's so that's the second, like that's the secondary consequence behind the definition of the filibuster.
1: And that's where, uh, Jentleson's book starts off is, Mm. this idea that somehow this need for a supermajority is baked into the constitution, which it's not, um, is baked into the founding documents, which it's not. Um, it's not.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: He mentions how, and I did not know about this until I was <clears throat> out of college and oddly enough working at Starbucks. That's right. Go kids, get yourself a degree and go work for Starbucks for a little bit. Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, and someone said I'm related to the only man or person, but man that uh, signed all four of like the major founding documents. And I said, "No, hmm. oh, I didn't. I didn't know like that, that was that there was one person that did that. His name is Roger Sherman. And one of the things that Sherman noted was that one of the things that really killed. And made the or the Articles of Confederation really kind of useless was that mm-hmm. the Southern small states, for the most part, who um, and Gentleson's pointed this out. I think he said Madison pointed out, like they saw the writing on the wall that um, as technology increased and shipping routes increased and stuff like that, their way of life, which was solely around the slave trade and agrarian labor that, well agrarian Mm -hmm. agrarian industry that required slave labor. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, we need to make sure that we still like can hold on to what we have. And so they wanted to have a supermajority for everything that happened in the Federation, but that made things unworkable, which might sound Mm -hmm. familiar to people uh, who have been around (laughs) for the past 20 years. Um, <laughs> and so this came up again in the t- constitutional convention the Senate itself was a compromise that okay well we won't get our supermajority where we have to get crazy like more than majority rule we have to get 60 you know 60 votes so so whether that's you 60 know, percent or 66 percent or 75 percent which I think was an Negotiating position at one point, uh, Mm -hmm. at least this way, we'll have equal representation in one body. Yes, the House will be more representative of population, as with the Senate, everyone has the same representation. So, adding the filibuster onto that was obviously a logical next step for people like, say, John C. Calhoun, who wanted to protect minority rule in order to... I, I'm not, I'm not hold myself making a joke, but um, the ironic part of that that he wanted to protect minority rule in order to maintain the institution of slavery. Um, oh, and Michelle is a weird side note. I noticed this listening to that. Uh, I know you and I both listened to it that episode of the Weeds with Iglesias and uh, Klein. Mm-hmm. Where they mention a couple political science uh, pl- uh, political scientists who mention how the filibuster is really good because it helps preserve or protect private property, which how are they still using that term when,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Where it came from is to protect slavery, like that mm. you can own people. Can't we move on from that? It just, it seems like it's so, I don't want to get into too much, but like, come on guys. Uh,
2: Outdated and fucked up.
1: Yeah, which, (laughs) not to drag on French too much here, but, you know, when he's talking about, and it's not just French, but the Republican Party, when they're going, well, we still need this right now. We still need conservatism because it helps us kind of pull back against the overly progressive left. Well, the kind of position on slavery now is, well, we now see that was a mistake, but it
0: took Mm
1: -hmm. how many different, well, it took a war, but then, like, you know, it was a problem forever. It basically took a war to say, okay, we won't do that again. Then it took Supreme Court cases and... A Civil Rights Act and stuff like that. We probably, you know, constitutional amendments. And mm-hmm. now we have, just a few years ago, the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. serve the Conservative Supreme Court, saying, well, we don't really need voter protection for black people anymore because it's not really a problem. Like, you, right. You said it was never a problem.
0: Well, yeah. We,
1: we saw it was sort of. um So, yeah, it's like, no, 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 no. Anyways, I don't want to get. Too far off topic there, but
2: no, no, no. I don't. Th- I don't think you're too far off topic. So again, um, as I as I said, when whenever you and I pick a topic to discuss, I'm like, ooh, history research. Here we go. Yep, yep. And again, the filibuster itself, though it was born out of the time period before the Civil War, it wasn't really used that often, and it certainly wasn't used very much in terms of maintaining slavery. I really had a hard time finding specific examples of that being a mechanism of you know slave owning senate members to slow things down because at we've talked about this like the turning point of like the 1840s history is never inevitable but there are some things that are foreseeable and the civil war was foreseeable at this point there was no mechanism within the halls of the capitol building that we're going to prevent the civil war, whatever it might be. So the filibuster didn't really apply because the, all the compromises that I came up leading up to the civil war, they weren't really filibustered. I mean, it was a heated debate, but it wasn't filibustered. So it wasn't. So I thought that that was kind of interesting because I thought that would have been a mechanism that would have been used and utilized, um, before 1860. But really, it starts gaining speed after the Civil War. Mm. That's really where you start to see the filibuster becoming more and more um, frequently used. Uh, Really, another key turning point is after World War One. So we're talking about a long period of time before we really see the filibuster like really getting popular. But so often, key filibusters in history they were certainly not used to maintain slavery, but they were absolutely used to maintain the fallout and social consequences of slavery, mm-hmm. meaning white supremacy. Yes. <laughs> and so I don't think you're too far off at all because historically that's really what the filibuster was used for was to prevent progress. And so the GOP is saying, oh, it's a nice tool to use against these crazy left-wing progressives. Um, Kind of, but not really, because honestly, the left-wing in America is way behind progressives anywhere else in the world. You know what I mean? Like they're like super conservative by comparison to left-wing progressivism in comparable first world countries. But it really is used as a tool whenever there's a progressive bill that would enhance the rights of minority racial groups. So you're not far off at all.
1: And another thing I was thinking about too as far as like well we, we think this is okay now is well this isn't even the case, but the New deal like that's another thing where most conservatives I, I can think of, like even the kind of intellectual types that the the national review types will still mm-hmm. go uh, I'm not a fan of that like the of the um, New Deal like it was too it was too far. There's conservative solutions <laughs> to that. What are they? And I guess we'll get into that later once we get into like why doing away (laughs) with it is a good thing. But yeah, it's just this idea that moving government forward, as you said, in a way that helps people rather than making sure that people who believe they have the right to or a monopoly on that help Mm -hmm. maintain it. And
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm sure there are instances where someone's going to go, well, what about this? No, like, this is when liberals used it. Yes. Okay.
2: Right. Um, well, and that's and that's the other thing, is, like, a vast majority of Americans who are polled that know anything about the filibuster in this day and age are like, yeah, it's a bunch of crap. Like, we should get rid of it. But on both sides of the political aisle, a lot of people in government who we keep voting into office like the filibuster yes. on both sides. And which is extremely frustrating.
1: <laughs> Klein and Iglesias had great points about that, which I guess I hadn't really. I not put into words the way that they did. Where it was, well, um, it provides them kind of cover. If the Senate doesn't work, they can go. Well, you know, that was because the Republicans, or that was the Democrats, or um, in the case of the Republicans recently, but you could say for mm-hmm. a, at least conservatives. Let's go with that for a, for a while, because. Um, <laughs> If anyone out there
2: yeah. who's not familiar
1: with this podcast is listening, wait a second. Strom Thurmond was a Democrat when he gave that filibuster. Yes, he was, but he was not a liberal, so or not a progressive. We'll go with that. Um, but yeah, like um, I lost my train of thought. Oh no. Um, well,
2: well. So you bringing up our our good friend. Oh
1: yeah. Wait, wait, I, I, I found it again. Sorry. One second. Good. Good. Go for uh, it. Yep. You're good. Yeah, that it allows them to stay in office and with the Senate not functioning, they don't have to put a lot of skin in the game and say, well, we got these bills done. As where if the filibuster wasn't there, an actual majoritarian rule was a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. I don't think you would have long term Republican Senate majorities because, because what are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. As as, as both Iglesias and Klein point out, what are your actual policies? Like, yes, we get tax cuts, but outside of that, like, how do you put, I love this, how do you put white grievance into legislation?
2: (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, for the past, what, good 13 years, their whole policy has been to go against Obama. Yep who has not been in office for the last four. We're the party Their of policy hell no. <laughs> the party of hell no, yeah. It's still to go against something. They don't actually want to promote anything um, because, you know, as, as you stated earlier, it's it's regression. It's about getting back that control. And I think I think something that, you know, that, that both um, Klein and Iglesias have touched on that even harkens back to before uh, the constitution was passed was that there was this understanding both then and at least among like smart people, <laughs> like Iglesias <laughs> and Klein, who are far smarter than oh, yes. I am. It's that compromising government is actually the moni- the minority group, the minority Mm -hmm. power, they're the ones with the actual power. So we think about this in opposite terms in real life, right? If you're in the majority, you get to be in charge, right? That is not the case in the Senate because of the filibuster. You need a supermajority, which is 60 out of 100 sworn in senators. It doesn't matter if they're president or not. You need 60 of them to vote a certain way to end the filibuster and Mm -hmm. actually get legislation done. That's virtually impossible when the Senate is split like that. And so I'm going to pull up a quote here. So this was uh, written in 1788 by James Madison in the Federalist Papers. It's Federalist number 58. It's um, So he's talking about the concept of the supermajority, you know, at least in negotiations and the Articles of Confederation, which you already mentioned. It's that it would no longer it would be no longer the majority that would rule, the power would be transferred to the minority. Meaning that compromise is a power that it can be held hostage by the minority rule. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what the GOP has counted on, planned for and succeeded with in our lifetime. Yep. Knowing that you don't need majority. If you're in the minority, you can sabotage the majority. You can create it to where nothing can get done by your opponent, which is majority. It is a very, very anti-democratic concept that the GOP has been able to figure out, Mm -hmm. outwit some people, and harness for the last, what, 20 years at this point?
1: Yeah, and not only outwit, but actually use it as a weapon against the Democrats in this case who will say things like, well, we want to get things done. Like think about Biden where I've. Or Chuck
2: Schumer. Oh, we want to get things done. Like how many times did he bend over backwards to agree with assholes in the Trump administration? He did not understand that he had power in the minority.
1: No, because I think part of it is, I mean, even with Biden, who won't commit to doing away with, the filibuster whether it's naive like well this is the senate this is how the senate should work like think of uh profiles and courage which if you think about is a few stories of where it worked because someone saw like grave danger ahead it wasn't you know oh well, well I guess and, and, <coughs>
0: when
2: when was profiles and courage written no the 50s give us give us a hint
0: yeah the fucking 50s yep. <laughs>
1: And to put it in, I, I, I hate to do this because I've read it a couple times. It was one of my, actually, it was a book my grandfather, who dropped out of high school and didn't know how to read at the time, like when he took an adult reading course. And I, like, so I was asked, like, what, a, a book that meant a lot to you. That was one of the first books he read all the way through.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Which was, and I said this in the podcast before, a challenge for a fifth grader at the time, but uh, I've reread read it <laughs> twice since then. But anyways, it's largely kind of this, I don't want to say it's a rumor, but there is some sort of like, yeah, well, Kennedy wrote that while he's recovering back surgery, or someone wrote it for him to kind of give him some uh, cred for when he runs for president later on, or in the Senate, actually. But um, my time frame's off there, we might cut that. Nah, don't cut it. I'll I'll make, I'll leave myself not knowing. Um, but yeah, like it yes, as you said, fifties when it it was working correctly and uh, not correctly, mm-hmm. but it was still not as bad as it is now. But mm-hmm. yeah, just this idea that the Senate will work. And one of the things, another thing I loved about Ezra Klein and Maggie Glacier's conversation is this whole idea that what. The major- like, the majority gifts compromise to the minority. But with the filibuster, it's complete opposite where... Yeah,
2: it's the other way around. Yeah,
1: where the minority gifts compromise to the majority, which is stupid. Also, mm-hmm. they're not doing that. Like, one of the things I... Like, a buddy of mine, it must have been days into the Biden administration, said well, you know, where's the compromise here? Okay, first of all, what are you talking about? It's been like, it, it may have been like three days in. Like, <laughs> and second, how is, no, give us what we want, let not compromise, compromise. Like, that's that's not good faith. And I know you no, and I have talked not. about this uh, on planning sessions before, like where that's kind of a thing of modern American conservatism, where it's just really difficult to find arguments that are in good faith, like, in preparing for this podcast when i just put in filibuster into the apple podcast app the main things that came up were ben shapiro the <laughs> federalist uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh and i don't remember a whole lot because it was pretty late but i was just like i kind of want to see what the hell this is charlie kirk which for those of you, who yeah, you
2: texted me. Yeah. I don't know anything about that, so fill us in. <laughs>
1: so Charlie Kirk doesn't really have any real education in politics. I don't even know if he has a college degree. He's the head of the like, what? Not college Republicans, but he is. in Someone has given him a lot of money to appeal to conservatives on college campuses, and it was like liberals hate this because they have to negotiate and stuff like that. And it's like, no, that this is not nuanced. This is not even informed. And as you might guess, Mm -hmm. in bad faith, but just the lack of, you know, at least with the David French, uh, not at least, it was a good conversation with David French and his client, because they're both very smart and are interested in what each other have to say. And,
2: and they're respectful towards each other. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's very important as well. And
1: (laughs) French is also very truthful and admits that, while a lot of the geo a lot of conservative voters who aren't the donor class types, they actually do like uh, the Affordable Care Act, they just have this weird aversion to anything that would be considered state-run health care or progressive ideas. And so that, mm-hmm. that's where I, we're kind of at now where. They enjoy it, but uh, they don't necessarily vote for it anyways yeah, it's yeah anyways, that was all that's what I had there <laughs>
2: <laughs> I dug into
1: way too much stuff in the past couple of days. it's all jumping in my head.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, really funny aside when I was trying to look up the pre-1917 history of the filibuster, I got a lot of articles about pirates, so filibuster <laughs> was <Sweet>. a word <laughs> derived from both Dutch and Spanish regarding <laughs> pirates, and there were this whole slew of characters who tried to free Latin America from their Spanish overlords, and they were called filibusters.
0: <laughs> Interesting.
2: I was like, oh, that's really cool. I don't think I knew about that. So anyways, there's two filibusters out there. We're talking about the bullshit in the Senate. There's also historical pirates called filibusters. So check that out if you're interested. I also found It was a, a th- nice little rabbit hole to dive into. <laughs>
1: a third filibuster because I did. didn't have my glasses on and was typing something into my <gasps> phone and I added <laughs> one too many L's to filibuster. Oh dear. And people have made podcasts about misspelled filibuster. I did not okay. listen to them because they looked Not good, but it was like, oh, okay, we're just sticking with the misspelled filibuster. Or maybe there's an actual legit third filibuster with a completely different meaning, but it was all, like, political stuff, so.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, if anybody knows about the extra L filibuster, let us know.
1: (laughs) And just a quick side note, too, if you go through, like, popular podcasts on the Apple podcast market, I was just trying to find something that was right-wing-leaning that wasn't Ben Shapiro, anyone from The Daily Wire, so that includes, like, Michael Knowles, what the hell his name is, um, Dan Bongino, all those kind of guys. It's like, no, this is all the stuff on here. Like, is there not better conservative or right-leaning content than this? Hmm. And because, yes, I do listen to the Bulwark podcast, which is right-leaning, but... right. I, I would be down to listen to something that was presented by a conservative. Well, obviously I am conservative who's not dealing in bad faith, but apparently what we have is in bad faith. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Well, and, you know, that that's the thing, though. It's like, at least from the counter arguments I saw analyzing the kind of right-leaning uh, pro-filibuster arguments were, were just all based in that anti-progressive regressive. This the what... really fit, the really thin surface that really thin veneer right above white supremacy. And it all just kind of falls apart. So I don't, I don't know what you would be able to find, honestly.
1: In, and that's Kills- my
2: bias showing right there, I'll <laughs> tell you
1: that. So, <laughs> In the Switch book, the author mentions that uh, Dan Crenshaw, the uh, celebrity, we'll call him that, uh, House member from Texas, he says that basically this is a republic. And by that, he means that by being a republic, a republican system of governance in America... Somehow that implies that it's all supposed to be supermajority. That's not how a republic works. A republic works where you elect someone to vote for you, like to make laws for you. So Mm -hmm. that's wrong in general. But uh, the author also mentions that, you know, um, he won his race by like, I think it was like a few thousand votes, and it was like 53% to... 46%. 46%. So if he wants to live by this whole, well, majority rule doesn't actually rule. Cool. Yeah. Like that, that doesn't work. All for you,
2: you there, all you, all you GOP people should be winning your elections at 60%. Yeah. then. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I was following that train of logic. You were laying down.
1: <laughs> Is there any more history stuff you want to mention before we kind of get more into like the, practical side of just why it doesn't work or why it it works well for one side but not this well it works well if you don't want to govern and it works poorly if you do want to govern
2: (laughs) yeah um what uh i guess maybe not historical things if anything pops up i'll let you know but what i was thinking about was um there was an analysis done of allegedly, you know, democratic run governments. And this, uh, this research project was done, I think in like 2008 or so. Mm-hmm. And it was checking for how many legislative veto mechanisms this government had. And, you know, looking at ever so many countries, I'm not sure exactly how many but a vast majority of them had one veto mechanism. So what we would think of as like a check and a balance, uh, checks and balances within government that a certain branch can, um, you know, basically analyze the work of another branch and say, no, we don't think so. Uh, Vast majority of democratic run countries in the world have one veto. And that's usually done by like their prime minister, their president, that, that one executive head. Um, There were a few countries with like two. uh, There were a few countries with three veto mechanisms. And I think that was like Australia and Austria. Um, But then the only country (laughs) with four veto mechanisms was the United States of America. And one of those veto things (laughs) considered is the filibuster. And so the idea that you know, runaway progressivism and runaway (laughs) democracy (laughs) is going to ruin our country. It's like, really, it's amazing anything has ever gotten done in the last hundred years, Mm -hmm. because there's three branches, each with certain powers to kind of oversee and control, um, you know certain certain activities of the other branches and then mm-hmm. you have this filibuster thing which can kill shit dead before anything even happens and so the idea that you know runaway progressivism is going to destroy our country it's 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 virtually impossible and i think an article written by Ezra Klein we're talking about Ezra Klein quite a bit here aren't we, um, we are. one of the articles <laughs> one <laughs> okay. of the articles that i know doesn't with that read, though yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, we respect him a lot. Um, one of the articles that he wrote back in, I think the article was written in October, so not too long after his discussion with uh, French, um, is you know the idea here that there's so many mechanisms to veto legislation. It's not creating checks and balances. It's creating just paralysis it's and vacation. imbalance. Yeah. Imbalances, absolutely. Um, That you know, it's so impossible to get anything passed. That when Congress can't do things, it kind of puts pressure on the executive branch to do more executive orders. And a good example of that, yeah, exactly. Well, his his you know good example of that in recent memory was when um, the Dream Act. Mm-hmm. The votes in the Senate, they only got 59 votes. You needed the 60 because it was going to, you know, you can't pass it without the supermajority because of the filibuster. One vote short of the DREAM Act. And so what did Obama do? Did the executive order and the GOP had a fit of that when the legislation and the executive are so embattled and so so incapable of governing properly together what happens the judicial branch becomes far more important and what happened in the last four years under trump a bunch of court packing that made the the supreme court just sadly (laughs) sadly so so inept compared to what we would hope it would be like you know so that was my you asked me about history and I went on this big long tangent about oh, not history, but you know, that's, I'm, that was my other key thing that I really wanted us to talk about.
1: I am glad you brought that up because I just didn't have time to get that into my notes. Cause I, I read that same part. Uh, just mm-hmm. a quick thing to add to it.
0: This mm-hmm. whole like,
1: I don't to say henny penny, the sky is falling, but like the radical left will change everything and they'll, you know, they'll, they're de- destroying the Constitution. Well, first things first, the filibuster isn't in the Constitution, um, unlike <laughs> the Electoral College, which actually is. So, doing away with that is not nearly as difficult. Although we saw news today that, uh, and I'll bring, him, I'll mention him in, here in a second again, that Joe Manchin, who is in a way, if you think about it, Michelle the most powerful man in the Senate Hmm. because he's a Democrat from West Virginia
0: who Mm -hmm.
1: I believe voted to confirm at least two of Trump's Supreme Court nominees um, Hmm. and has been kind of a – I don't want to say a problem. It's just – as you can imagine, a Democrat in West Virginia, it's a little – You'd expect, again, a senator that presides over a majority white state with a relatively small population to be in favor mm-hmm. of the filibuster. And he is. Uh, mm. But so if the idea is if he, if we get do away with the filibuster, then the radical left and the libs will codify all sorts of crazy progressive stuff into the constitution that's not happening Mm -hmm. because then you have not just the house the senate the president then you have the states which have to i believe ratify amendments by what 66 percent yes yes it's a super super majority i believe
2: so Mm -hmm. and
1: the study that you mentioned also doesn't point out the fact because it's not an elective body that then you have basically this fifth mechanism which is the supreme court and as you said michelle is uh to say it's conservatives to put it lightly i like what yeah npr had to say what you have the liberal justices are kind of traditional liberals and what you have outside of just chief justice roberts on the other side of that are activist conservative just justices like yes
2: reactionary conservative justice yes. um
1: yeah. the kind that you know, clarence Tom- clarence thomas is writing weird things and has been doing that for a while um <laughs> there's obviously the, the brett Kavanaugh thing but when a good illustration of this and uh <laughs> i read this in the recently disgraced uh book by, or the book by recently disgraced Jeffrey Tubin.
0: Oh, yeah. okay.
1: That while the Supreme Court liberals at the time were gearing up their best, not just legal arguments, but trying to find ways to compromise, if you will, but at least like, um, is this a word? I feel like it, James Madison used it as a word, and now I'm like, interesting. To find Concord (laughs) with Mm. their conservative counterparts Mm
0: -hmm.
1: during the Mm -hmm. Bush v. Gore lawsuit, they were stunned that basically their conservative counterparts were like, cool, um, we'll find whatever laws we need to make and whatever argument to make to have our guy in the White House. Done and done. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you have there. And again going back to Joe Manchin it actually good on him this time around and I can't remember what year it was and this is how awful all this is thinking about the memory hole stuff but after the Newtown shooting when a vast majority like not just a super majority a vast majority of American voters said they were in favor of this gun control bill, which mm-hmm. was co-sponsored mm-hmm. by Joe Manchin and by a mm-hmm. Republican in Pat Toomey, was filibustered to death mm-hmm. because they can. And um, this goes back to again when the if the point of the Senate is to be a I hate this analogy the uh, <laughs> the saucer that cools the tea that spills over from the House. Right. It, it's it's not. And uh, I can't remember which podcast it was on. Because I listened to so many trying to, to get caught up for this. That was not something that I think someone falsely attributed to George Washington.
0: Yeah.
2: But, it yeah. was a made-up conversation between George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Neither of who would have said anything like that. So, no. you know, it's a bunch of bullshit from the get-go.
1: And, you know when you have one party and this is where i liked what uh how klein pushed back is lady because i my dad mentioned the same thing well do you think it was a mistake for uh harry reed to go nuclear on presidential appointments and you know lower court just judges no McConnell would have done it he in fact did it for supreme court justices as we've seen
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I like what Klein had to say, which is make them actually do stuff. Make the Republicans actually do things. Make conservatives actually make laws. Because mm-hmm. right now, I think they're almost happier in the opposition. Mm-hmm. Because they can get, well, what are we supposed to do? We're, we can't do anything. We're the minority. We can just fight like hell. Because that's kind of the Republican brand. And not just recently. Um uh- speaking of Adam McKay and not going out like, I think we often times do like a, hey, listen to this podcast, but hell, listen to this podcast. He has a uh, <laughs> podcast called Death on the Wing, which is surprisingly a way to tie in kind of history, like relatively recent history um, and how politics and economics and sociology has really shaped things, but ties it into the NBA of all things. And huh. he mentions okay. that, you know, would have been difficult in the case of the death of a, uh, star collegiate player who was drafted by the Boston Celtics to say, well, you know, we need to approach drug addiction from a nuanced position. Like, you know, why it happens and how do we address it? And what did Ronald Reagan do? The war on drugs, because fighting is always appealing. Mm-hmm. It's Mm -hmm. good and evil, it's black and white, and uh, Mm -hmm. that's what we see with, I'd say, conservatism for the past 40 years, is this idea that it's always, well, we're we're railing against the libs. And I should say, too, you do see some of that on the left, but you don't see it in the mainstream. Mm. Uh, But yeah, anyways, long way around to get to this point, as we said on the what College one there are so many things in place to protect minority rule. And it would mm-hmm. be one thing if the Republicans, the conservatives, whatever you want to call it, which I guess they don't want to call themselves conservatives anymore as far as MAGA goes, because they don't want to be necessarily associated with the Koch brothers types. <laughs> um, is this idea that we're right, you're wrong, the Democrats are bad. And as long as we fight, it doesn't matter if nothing happens. And mm-hmm. I think about this all the time, too. It's, it's, it's like when you write something, it's hard. <laughs> Creating things is difficult. You're going to have problems doing it. It's easier to be a cynic and sit back and go, morons, I would have done better and not do anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. Yeah. So it would be interesting. And you know, back to the point of, do, do I think it was a mistake or read to do away well with the with to, excuse me to enact the nuclear option no I don't it was it was going to happen either way and this way majority rule the Republicans are going to keep acting as a minoritarian party and make no mm-hmm. effort to act majority then
0: mm-hmm.
1: no and I think that hurts americans it hurts their voters i think it ultimately hurts them they, they're missing out on opportunity so uh,
0: mm.
1: oh and to bring up the iglesias and klein thing and not saying that you know we're anywhere close but i was like hmm i feel like our dynamic michelle is a little bit like you're the iglesias type and i'm the klein it, <laughs> it could work <laughs> In theory.
2: <laughs> I like that. Oh, that's so flattering to us. <laughs> Steven <laughs> use it as an analogy. I like that. Yeah. Uh you know <laughs> my my favorite term to hate within all of this is <laughs> the tyranny of the majority. Oh yes. Which <laughs> is, so stupid. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it makes me mad because of the horrible white supremacist, classes, racist, sexist, whatever, whichever, not whatever, whichever category of actual tyranny you want to talk about. The tyranny of the majority. That is exactly what you were just talking about, is this victimization of Uh, the self as being the (laughs) the minority ruling party or the minority ruling class or or the minority ruling ethnicity it's like yeah that's what democracy is majority Mm -hmm. rule it's not the tyranny of the majority but that victimization is part of how they're able to maintain the power that they do have, that power of the minority. Isn't that what the last four years was about? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, I, and as you and I in a private discussion, I'll go ahead and mention it now, yeah. I've really had a hard time the last few months even thinking about the last four years. I am so I am so desperate to pretend that the last 4 years never happened. I'm trying to explain the world without it. Yes. And that is wrong and illogical, but it's it's so frustrating. Because I think that's what it's coming down to. The You're self-victimization not- of the minority of the population who've been in charge 28 out of the last 32 years mm-hmm. at the federal level. And they're the ones that are being victimized. I really, really struggle with that.
1: And you're not I alone. I really do. Um, a good friend and friend of the pod, Courtney uh, basically said at one point, right after the election, we're done talking about Trump. And mm. while I understand the inclination, like, but this isn't, this isn't done. Like this is going to happen for a while. The party has not tossed him to the side. The party did not choose to convict him for something he obviously did um, twice. I wouldn't say it's as obvious the first time, but it was pretty obvious what he was doing. But the second time was like, yeah, that's this is exactly what he wanted to happen. And uh, it just maybe got out of hand. If that's your argument, that it's the only defense you can have. Um, and then to your other point about the self-victimization, it makes me think to that as my wife said, chewy conversation I had with Tim <laughs> earlier this year, where it just boggles the minds, as far as I'm concerned, that these people who, for the most part, this is a political movement that, yeah, it's moved around, and there's been different movements within it, there's been different names they've moved around to political parties and stuff like that but kind of this through line of where like of the movement writ large to keep using that term is Mm. protecting what is in theory ours and that is Mm. white male privilege Mm -hmm. and so those people Mm -hmm. do for the most part not for the most part if any group in America has agency it is that group and yet they pretend they don't complain they don't insist they don't while at the same time insisting that groups that they have denied agency to or hindered agency hindered opportunity denied opportunity to at every turn are told "Eh, just Pick yourself up your bootstraps. What? And yeah. this, and that's what I, I love what, when Tim had to say that. I was like, because I was nodding my head. This idea that people have agency. And I don't necessarily agree that everyone has agency, but this group
0: mm-hmm.
1: that identifies whether it's conservative or Trump voters for the most part has agency and has a history of having agency, but Mm -hmm. yet because for whatever reason, (laughs) the rest of the country does not agree with them, they are the victims. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. tools like the filibuster, tools like the Electoral College have been gamed rather than finding ways to make it actually work. And mm-hmm. so I I really honestly, and I guess to kind of sum it up here, I don't understand this love of the filibuster because Michelle, uh, can you think of anything in history, actual history, not film history, where the <laughs> filibuster has really you know, brought the Senate together, made it work, and really functioned in a way that aided democracy. No, but, and uh, I guess I, just my,
2: quick, just quick. No, <laughs> well,
1: the, the tone into my question, I'm like, wow, this is a leading question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, I want to tie a bunch of things together here. Please. So. A term that's gained some popularity over the last couple of years that is really applicable to the ruling, I would argue ruling minority in this country is the term check your privilege. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Which is something that is very difficult to do because it's about looking inward. It's about looking outward at the same time and i think i think check your privilege is something that people are some people are never willing to do and then in connection to that i saw this as a tweet <laughs> i really don't know the origins of it so if it's this person that tweeted great if it's some other mind in the past,
0: like a thinking, also internet great kind of thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not sure where it comes from, but it that that in and of itself, check your privilege, makes me think of this tweet by a gentleman that just said, "Hey guys, women just want equality. We should be grateful they're not asking for revenge." <laughs> and so, as a historian, analysis of check your privilege and a historical analysis of that, that can be applied to any minority group that you can think of is shouldn't you, the privileged person be grateful that other people far more uh, suppressed and actually suppressed are looking for equality and not revenge.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And then within that uh, No, because self-victimization does not allow for that either. And with all of that in mind, the filibuster is the perfect weapon for people who don't want to check their privilege and who do not think that minority groups deserve anything better than what they've already gotten.
1: That is an excellent point. And that's
2: where you're... Your, your concept that, so I was gonna argue that the filibuster is just a mechanism to maintain the consequences and maintain the status quo out of a post-slavery world. I think you're right that at this point, it's actually regressive. So the last 50 years, that small pro- progress for people who don't have privilege and for people who are looking for equality, not revenge, the filibuster at this point has become a mechanism for the minority rule to regress even farther back from that.
1: And if I can add on to your point, which is a great point, you talked Please. about this uh, Please. You know, check your privilege and how difficult that is. Well, I think we all know if we've, uh... I haven't read enough self-help books. Like, I think it's a pretty common knowledge thing. It's just being able to take the leap there that practicing gratitude and being grateful, like in being consciously grateful will make you Mm. a happier person. Mm. However, fear is freaking powerful.
2: Absolutely. It's
1: will overwhelm your other, like any any other emotions you have. Fear will just jump there. And so Mm -hmm. fear and anger and not to go, uh, all Star Wars, like dark side here, but fear and anger, uh, that's a powerful drug, man. And when the filibuster is sold using fear as like Mm. really a tool, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's, it's tough to overcome. And then you Mm -hmm. add the whole nostalgic thing to it and people just go, they don't know what to think. And, Mm -hmm. You know, not not to go, it's so simple, people, because I think one of the things that you and I are always trying to implore onto everybody, if that's the right word, um, or implore people to do, is to understand that there is so much nuance to all this stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that shouldn't scare you. Like,
0: mean,
1: mm-hmm. nuance is, it's a good thing. It'll help you understand something, mm-hmm. but maybe at the same mm-hmm. time, the fear is, well, if it's so simple, it's like, I think there are actually studies that show this, that there's an actual a fear of nuance because simplicity is easy. Nuance and yeah. stuff is not. So right. you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid that I'll have to jump down this hole of listening to either the two of us do our best uh, Iglesias and Ezra Klein impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> or actually listen to them and go, wow, I really don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a tough thing. and I think there's just so many things that are like this. Not just the filibuster, but the electoral college and the, the Supreme Court for that matter. We must, we, maybe we'll do an episode of that sometime. Yeah. Where oh, that would be great. It's sold as this thing to almost all of us that it's this noble tradition and we have to uphold mm. it. And mm. that yes, compromise is a good thing, but it's not winning or losing. And that's kind of seems to be the thing. I liked what, uh, oh no, I can't remember who it was. Someone was just saying that, yeah, Susan Collins might want to compromise, but she can also go, hey, uh, I can wait a couple years and rather than get like a portion of what I want into a bill this time around, you know, I can refuse to even cooperate or even negotiate. And uh, mm-hmm. my boy Mitch will get me on the head of the committee where I can be, yeah. take sole responsibility and like credit for something that happened. Um, oh, and I guess one last thing I have about the filibuster is that, I know this is going to sound strange because he's so irksome and gross and everyone, <laughs> kind of like universally loathed. Okay. But one of the things we've seen recently from uh, you know, federal level legislators, so in the House and the Senate, is they don't really care as much about making law as being superstars. And Mm. so he got made fun of by both sides for his whole reading greetings and ham doing his filibuster.
0: Jesus. Okay.
1: That's how Ted Cruz really came to national prominence. And yes, he's a national punchline, but for some reason, he's going to run for president again in 2024, and he'll hang around.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe that goes back to the Jimmy Stewart thing where I can, I mean, Ron Johnson didn't even do a real filibuster and uh, somehow filibustered recently. <laughs> I, I should mention, like no as you said, filibuster. Michelle, <laughs> uh, before they actually had to get up and, they didn't have to, but the tradition was to get up and go all Jimmy Stewart. Uh, I believe the story with John C. Calhoun is that Henry Clay actually told him to shut up after a while. Um, <laughs> But now they can just go.
0: I I mean,
2: this is right a few a few years right before they started beating each other with canes (laughs) on the Senate floor. I mean, the 1840s was a wild time, guys.
1: (laughs) It's true, because I think now like they can basically just email and say, you know, I what is it? I want to hold a vote for cloture or something like that. I I murder the yeah. Oh,
2: they just have their assistant tweet about it, and, you know, that's the...
1: (laughs) You're right, that's what Ron Johnson did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) So we're past the hour mark, although there's plenty to cut out with me rambling. Um,
2: Oh, no, we did great. Is there
1: anything else you want to get into?
2: No. Oh.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think we
2: hit all the... (laughs) I, I hit all I hit all my, my main points. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up.
1: I don't. Um, other than I'm going to say this just as an aside to, you know, we talk about people being happy and being grateful and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I know there's a lot of people, especially retired people, that are stuck inside right now. Mm. For the love of God, stop watching cable news. Stop watching Fox News. <laughs> like, stop going on the internet and talking politics. Which I know this is weird. <laughs> oh, to this podcast, but to go
2: back to your Q and on reference at the very very beginning, yes. Quit looking for conspiracy confirmations. Yeah,
1: and just do things that make you feel more united with people. Which is <laughs> mm. a strange thing I did see with the Q and on thing is. As I said, like I know <laughs> I texted you about the show with the whole like I have this like. Line I've drawn between the two groups, which may or may not make any sense, but between flat earthers and QAnon, whatever you want to call them, kind of the like conspiratorial right, conspiratorial, not right, uh, conspiratorial voters. Yes. And it's, they find community because their loved ones don't want to listen to them because it's like, oh, shut up. And like, same, and, yeah. and it's gotten worse. It's like, I can go on Facebook. Well, You can find strangers that agree with you, but for the most part, everyone else is going, I don't want to talk about this. So, yeah, anyways, I don't know what else you can find to do. There's probably something, whether it's, uh, I know houseplants are a big thing right now. Um, (laughs) Read books. (laughs) Listen to, here you go, listen to podcasts that are like self-help and stuff like that. Listen to stuff that are interesting stories. Watch shows that are creative and Not even mindless, but just make you happy. Don't dial into the fear and the anger engine. Um, No. From there, (laughs) let's jump into the good thing for the week. Uh, Mine's pretty simple. So um, do you want to go first?
2: No, you go first. I want to hear
1: yours. You've already heard mine, but uh, I haven't shared it in (laughs) podcast form. So (laughs) last Saturday, so I guess it's not technically this week, but I saved it. I drove about an hour south from where we live. My wife uh, joined me because she's very kind and uh, waited in line and dealt with some very, very like everyone I dealt with at this place was very friendly and got my first round <laughs> of the COVID vaccine,
0: Yay. the moderna.
1: And uh, last night, I logged on to my my chart account. And was able to book a second appointment for May 1st. So,
0: perfect.
1: Yes. And I encourage you all. In fact, I would imagine <laughs> know a few people, family members, who've already had at least one round or two. So,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: if you have not, it's uh, again, it's kind of like it, not, I don't want to compare it to wearing masks in case you're like, oh my gosh, it's one of those guys. It's a thing of do it for yourself, but do it for people you love because. Yeah. We're not in the woods yet, and this is one more step to kind of get there. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: do it up and it's it's filled me with a little bit more optimism than I guess I had before. Mm. So, I like
0: mm-hmm. that.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. Good. I'm glad. Thank you. Excellent. What's my good thing this week? Um I was not prepared, obviously. That's why I had you go first. Uh <laughs> You know, um, I've been lucky enough. I did get both of my shots already, so I'm very wonderful. Very grateful for that. Yep. Um, it's becoming more more available, so you know, if you haven't checked, just just try people. It's it's available out there, so you know, get your shot if you're up for that. Um, I think. I think my good thing is a week, I'm gonna go really, really baseline shallow here. Nothing
0: wrong with and that. And
2: just say that I started <laughs> I started watching Shits Creek.
1: <laughs> Wonderful.
2: I'm already I'm already into season three. I'm so I'm enjoying it immensely. It's nice to have something like that. Frivolous, funny, yet very socially insightful. Mm-hmm. Shit's Creek is my good thing of the week.
0: (laughs) So,
1: this isn't going to give anything away, but the first two seasons are kind of the most like awkward, and then like the rest of the first one, I
2: really, yes, yeah. The first one, I definitely was like, okay, I'm struggling a little bit. About halfway through season two, I found myself giggling a lot more, (laughs) and now going into season three, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much opportunity here for these crazy people to have like positive things start happening to them. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm As- really excited. Absolutely. And, uh, it's just, it's just a nice break from, from, you know, reality. So
1: <laughs> that was what I found with Ted Lasso, which only has one season, unfortunately so far. <gasps> um,
2: oh, I really need to watch that. Yeah. That looks hilarious.
1: <laughs> it's hilarious. It's heartwarming. Um, in the case of Ted Lasso, there's really only one character uh-huh. who doesn't have anything redeeming so far, which you're just waiting on oh. that to change next season. Because it's been renewed, but it was a COVID oh. kind of thing. So, yes, Schitt's Creek, I yes. cannot uh, recommend that enough. My wife and I, uh, she actually knew that the final season was due to come out on Netflix in like a week or two. This is months ago. Maybe, I think this is last year, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, 2020,
0: and yay, like, 2020. Is it
1: weird that I buy if, if we buy it beforehand? It's like, no, let's let's watch it. Yeah, let's do
0: it. It's
1: wonderful, and yeah. So your point kind of ties into my pre-good uh, thing of the week, which is find other things to do with your time. Um, yes, there's there's things you can do to be happy, and watching. I'm going to throw this out there. Fox News is not one of those things. <laughs> so with that, they're
2: really, they're really struggling for content at this point as well. So yep. yeah, it's back true. away from the box. <laughs>
1: Indeed. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Michelle?
2: No. We uh, got it.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Noel. Good night.